Welcome to the Montana Middle, your podcast for Montana politics. I'm Dan West. Today's episode features Ashley Strong, who worked most recently as communications director for former House Speaker Paul Ryan. We talk about her path from growing up in Montana to working at the highest levels in Washington, D.C. Before getting to our conversation, a word about our sponsors and the D.C. update. In its quest to bring the best of Montana to the internet, the Montana Mint supports this podcast. Together, we are striving to make Montana politics more accessible for all Montanans. To keep up with interesting Montana news, check out the Montana Mint at www.montana-mint.com and subscribe to their newsletters about Montana sports and politics. And check out their Montana sports podcast called Montana Mint Sports. This episode is also made possible by the Hotel Finland in the great city of Butte, Montana. Locally owned and operated in the heart of Montana, the Hotel Finland offers affordable luxury and relaxation options at the same price or cheaper as those boring chain hotels along the interstate. Because in Montana, chains are for tires. Experience all the grit and glamour Uptown Butte has to offer. Walk to some of the best eats and drinks in the second largest historic district in the USA by staying at the crown jewel of Uptown, the Hotel Finland. The Montana Mint and the Montana Middle partner with Montana brands and companies like Hotel Finland because we all love Montana. Next time you're staying in Butte, book your room at the Hotel Finland. F-I-N-L-E-N.com. Finland.com. Thanks again to our sponsors. Now here's the DC update. Senator Tester introduced the Spotlight Act with Oregon Senator Ron Wyden to hold the executive branch accountable to enforce our nation's campaign finance laws. This was in response to a Treasury Department announcement last summer that it would no longer require nonprofit political organizations to disclose basic information about their donors. Tester and Wyden also pushed a Congressional Review Act resolution last year to overturn this administrative action. It passed the Senate with bipartisan support, but didn't get a vote in the House. We'll see if they push it again or if this bill will take its place. Senators Tester and Daines both released press statements on the same day, claiming credit for securing a Senate vote for a public lands package that includes reauthorization of the Land and Water Conservation Fund and a bill to withdraw mineral leases from the Upper Yellowstone River. This is a great example of a bipartisan issue, and I was disappointed that the senators aren't approaching it in more of a bipartisan fashion. For instance, they could have issued a joint press release instead of separate ones. Congressman Gene Forte gave a speech on the House floor urging his colleagues to include physical barriers in any border security funding package. The government has fully reopened and federal employees are back to work. While the shutdown is over, the crisis at the border remains. I recently toured the southern border in Arizona. Ranchers and Border Patrol agents told me about the challenges they face because of open borders. I saw short, weak, barbed wire fences that line our border. I learned more about violent cartels and how they profit from our poorest borders, from human trafficking and the flooding of drugs into our communities. Congress has an obligation to secure our border. We must give Border Patrol agents the tools they need to get their job done. They told me they need equipment to detect drugs and more and better body armor. Border Patrol agents also told me they need a wall. They know walls work. Congress should listen to them. Tomorrow, the conference committee tasked with border security will meet for the first time. Having seen 
the border crisis firsthand. I urge those lawmakers to listen to our Border Patrol agents, fund meaningful physical barriers, and secure our borders. That's it for the DC update. Now here's my conversation with Ashley Strong, former House Speaker Paul Ryan's communications director. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's great to be with you, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, well, I I realize you're uh, you're going through a big transition now, and but you're back in Montana, and um, yeah, how are things going? I am. My uh, my job ended in this month, and I've been able the last three weeks to spend time with family and friends in Montana, um, primarily in Billings. Um, but I've been able to. Uh, see family across the state um, in the last three weeks and get some much needed fresh air. Um, I'm coming close to making a decision about uh, my next opportunity, but um, Mm -hmm. I don't have any news to make on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, No worries. Yeah. Well, um, you know, obviously I've, I've told the listeners about you, you're, you're coming from a a very high level that you were working in uh, last, just last year, but, and we'll get to that, but let's, uh, Let's start from the beginning. Where does your Montana story start, and and what was your childhood in Montana like? Well, I'm part of a multi-generation Montana family. Mm-hmm. I was born in Missoula. Um, I went to school, uh, middle school and high school in Billings, and I graduated um, from the University of Montana. My parents and grandparents and great-grandparents um, were all uh, proud Montana, our proud Montana outdoor types. Um, so my upbringing was outside often. Um, I, on one side of the family, that meant horses and, and ranch life. And on the other side of my family, that meant camping and lake life mm-hmm. and hunting. And um, my dad is an avid outdoorsman, um, hunting, fishing, um, hiking, pretty much all of the outdoor activities that you could possibly um, do, uh, he does. <laughs> and um, so I learned, you know, my love of, of outdoors from him. And, um, you know, just this last couple of weeks, I've been able to get outside, get some fresh air, like I said, and um, just, you know, I just did a, a snowshoeing trip in the Beartooths. Um, I love the Beartooths and I would spend as much time there as I possibly can um, when I, when I have the opportunity. (laughs) Nice. Well, that sounds, yeah, really interesting. You have a broad Montana experience growing up in Missoula and in Billings, and maybe I'll ask you more about that later, but um, (laughs) at what point through all of that did you become interested in politics? That's a great question. Uh, In high school, I had this great government teacher, uh, Mr. Jetty, hmm. and he um, at Skyview, um, and he really instilled um, a love of civic engagement in me. Um, I don't think I knew at that time what exactly uh, where I was in the ideological spectrum or, or what that meant to be involved in uh, your community, um, but I knew that I wanted to be, and so I 
Uh, in high school, was a page in the state legislator. <laughs> okay. I was, um, I was one of those. Um, yeah, that gives you like I, a good front row seat. To... <laughs> right, right. It was a great opportunity. I met a lot of um, students that I actually still stay in touch with a few, um, to be honest. But <laughs> nice. um, I, uh, I, you, you even know some of the. <laughs> yeah, probably, maybe probably such I'm, a small uh, <laughs> world yeah. in Montana. Um, and then I was also able to do girl state and. Okay. really loved girls state again i don't know if i knew politically what that meant but i i knew that i like to be part of a community and i like to offer ideas and be involved in the discussion um so that took me to college and i i uh, was able to do some federal internships um one of which was um with senator conrad burns um and um so i met a lot of montanans who were involved in uh, civic life as well through mm-hmm. that. And, and that ultimately led to me coming back out to, you know, to serve in the Capitol um, after college. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That kind of leads to my, my next question. Um, well, it basically answers my next question, which is how, how did you go from Montana to Washington DC? And, and so maybe you could expand on that a little bit. It sounds like you did internships with Conrad Burns uh, while you were still in college. Right. And then I did. Okay. I did. I did. I did. Yep. Um, when I was a junior, um, in between uh, my junior and senior year in mm-hmm. Missoula, uh, I was able to go to DC to serve uh, an internship for Senator Burns. Um, I would then went back to school for my last year and finished up. And, um, and obviously, you know, the Senator had lost his race at, at that point. But mm-hmm. um, when I was you know, thinking about coming coming back out. But through that internship, I met um, a number of incredible mentors um, from Montana who uh, were at the highest levels of public service at that time. And, and that ultimately led through those relationships to um, a job at, at the White House um, in the executive office um, during the presidency of uh, George W. Oh, Bush. Okay. And so um, it was really through those Montana connections that I was able to um, to have that opportunity, and um, it was quite a unique opportunity as my first job out of college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so you came right to DC right after college. Um, obviously, was you know fortunate enough to have these these uh, this Montana network out here in DC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> how, how did you go from from then uh, the Bush White House to uh, Paul Ryan's office. Sure. Well, I stayed on through the last year and a half of the George um, W. Bush administration, okay. and um, and so I served there uh, through that through that tenure of, of that through um, inauguration day actually, and hmm. um, and and knew that I had a love of. Uh, the other branch of government, mm-hmm. um, the legislator, and um, uh, and I wanted to be involved. Um, unfortunately, like I said, Senator Burns had lost his race at that point, um, and so that opportunity wasn't there. Um, but I was able to get on uh, with a, a nearby, uh, a neighbor of Montana, uh, with Wyoming Senator Mike Enzi, okay. and um, he was uh, in leadership of, on a committee. Um, that committee uh, knew that healthcare was going to be a mm. big uh, discussion, and so um, they brought me on um, at the beginning of that of that uh, larger discussion about healthcare, and I was there um, uh, for a, a while, and then. 
had been through various other um, bosses on the Hill, uh, conservatives mm-hmm. on the Hill, and um, including uh, Senator John Thune from South Dakota, mm. um, and um, served in his leadership office. And um, from that point, decided I was interested in advancing the the things that I believed in at the uh, even larger scale, and that meant for me a presidential election. Um, and so I was involved early on with um, Governor Walker from mm. Wisconsin, his mm-hmm. um, presidential. Uh, and obviously that was a little short lived. Um, so about seven months later I came back, uh, and, um, that was the week that, um, that the speakership transition had started, um, when Speaker Boehner had announced his retirement and, um, you know, Ryan was reluctantly drafted into the position. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I came on board and, and was there for three years. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's uh, it, it's an interesting path, though, through through the D.C. Um, political scene, you know, I mean, from from the from Capitol Hill back to the White House, you know, back to the Senate and then and then on a campaign, it seems pretty well rounded. And then to the House, the U.S. House. So you have like every chamber and and the right. executive branch. and Yeah, very well rounded. So I so, yeah, then you get to Paul Ryan's office. He's Speaker of the House. What was the day to day like there? Well, my day to day, I guess I should take a step back and explain for those who aren't involved in the, the nuts and bolts of, of, of the operation, although sure. I would assume most of your listeners are. Um, I My primary job was to communicate to taxpayers and to the, the American public um, what we were trying to accomplish. And, and for us specifically, that meant what we said we would do and what we were doing um, follow, to follow through on, on those promises that were made um, in terms of the policy, um, you know, day to day. So my day started pretty early um, with the news cycle as it is. It's getting longer and longer um, these days, but I would wake up pretty early um, and uh, immediately start um, looking at ways to communicate those policies that we were going to be advancing that week or that month. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it was day-to-day. Um, some of it was you know, longer-term goals. Um, but um, looking, you know, consulting with um, my boss and, and, and advising him um, as a senior advisor on communications about how we were going to uh, convey what we, what we were doing and the work that we were doing on behalf of Americans. Um, that day would end pretty late as well, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. Uh, it seems like there's always breaking news these days. And so uh, some of it was uh, reactionary uh, in nature and some of right. it um, was proactive. But at the end of the day, it was um, fundamentally communicating um, what we were doing so that Americans understood, um, um, you know, the policies that we were working on. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and maybe just uh, the different forms of communication, like uh I, I have a little bit of an idea of it from being being in DC as well, but you know, press releases, social media, mm-hmm. you know, national mm-hmm. news, uh, op eds in national papers right. is. I mean, like, sure, yeah. What what else was there? So there, there's a traditional routes of communicating yeah. your policies and communicating uh, through um, reporters, um, through as you mentioned, op eds, interviews. Um, you know, direct to camera. There are lots of traditional ways, but nowadays, um, you know, I think the president's done this very well, uh, gone straight to the public uh, uh-huh. with his message. And, and that largely, you know, has involved social media at this mm-hmm. point. But, um, 
it's a it's a interesting evolution and one that I think uh, taxpayers um, are grateful for. Um, there's less of of um, there's less of the formalities, um, and, and and I think that's not a bad thing. Um, so for me, that I had a holistic approach in um, our office, and we had a pretty robust digital operation um, mm-hmm. that you know sp- spoke directly to the American public. Um, but day to day, it depended on on the situation, and um, at the end of the day, you know we we just tried to make ourselves available and accountable uh, for all of the policies that we were working on. Mm-hmm. What was uh, what was Speaker Ryan's preferred uh, medium to go through? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I actually haven't had a conversation with him about that. Uh-huh. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, I. That's a good question, and, and one I don't have mm. the answer to. Yeah, the top of my I, head. I know well, what I liked him to do. But. <laughs> what, what what was yours? Sure. I mean, I think anytime you're communicating via TV or radio or podcast, um, particularly in longer form uh, opportunities where you're expected to outline ideas and substance and policy, um, I think that's important. I, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people elect you to go and fix problems and 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 provide solutions, and I think um, and uh, every opportunity you have to. Um, explain what your solutions are and how you're going to go about achieving those solutions is um, is the most important. And I, I find that in long form um, interviews, podcasts, TV interviews, whatever it might be, that's the best method still, um, mm-hmm. because I think that the interaction um, between reporters and, and, you know, the subject that's getting interviewed, who is getting interviewed, um, is really the most transparent way to to go about talking about what you're working on and 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 what you want to achieve. So. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Podcasts are a great form of communication for getting <laughs> particularly getting this one. Right? <laughs> Maybe you know you don't have to refer to just your most recent position in D.C. You could look back on on everything that you've talked about so far, but. What would you say are some of the most important lessons you've learned, um, I guess, from a professional standpoint, from working at such a high level in D.C.? What I've found in any any office that I'm in, um, in public service over the last um, several years, has been the people who succeed are always the people who um, just never forget who they're working for and who they're serving. Um, they never lose sight of why they're there. Um, they never lose sight of who they were when they came into that office. Mm-hmm. And I think that the legislators that I've been around and the elected officials that I've been around and those in public service, whether it's appointed or whatever type of position, um, they are the most successful and they are the most um, genuinely um, effective um, uh, people out there because they're able to have a clear list of objectives and, and aren't deterred from, from following through on that. It's, it's the folks who uh, go somewhere, say they'll do something and don't do it um, or say one thing when they're somewhere and, and say another in, in another venue. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the folks who ultimately just aren't going to find success because um, uh, people value your word and they value um, uh humble, uh, you know, mm-hmm. approach to, to life. And I think that the people that I've, that I've been around and fortunately have had 
enough bosses um, who, who have had that approach over the years, um, I, I think are the most successful. And I think that's the biggest lesson. Um, but that could be extended to any any area of life, uh, frankly. It's just a, a honesty and hard work ethic um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and staying true to who you are. So. Yeah, that's true. That's a recipe for success, you know, whether you're on a ranch in Montana or in an office right. building in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm interested to hear from you as well, just because of the positions you've held and, and the access that you've had. Um, how how do you feel about the current state of the Repo- Republican Party mm-hmm. nowadays? I mean, mm-hmm. do you think it's do you think it's more unified or divided now compared to when you first came to D.C.? Mm-hmm. Or, so. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, the Republican Party uh, has always been a Big Ten party. Um, we know that there is room for various strains of conservatives uh, across the spectrum. That's always been the case. Uh, we've always been a party that's had robust discussion about policies and and um, approach, and and that's um, that's been true as long as I've been involved um, in the party, and probably long before. Um, on the substance. Um, I think that we are more united than it is often portrayed. And I think that our record over the last two years um, has really shown that in terms of results and, and what we've been able to both you know, pass in the legislature and, and get signed into law by the president. Um, Congress is full of variety of conservatives. And, um, and so I think what you've seen is um, based on some significant pieces of legislation, more unity in, in, in practice than what, you know, is discussed in, in theory in the news. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think that um, the Democratic Party is going through right now that same identity search that we've, um, you know, often seen um, sure. in terms of our party. Um, and I, you know, just look no further than the countless you know, potential no- you know, nominees <laughs> for the Democratic <laughs> nomination. I, right. you know, it's a, truly a, a broad spectrum of of beliefs and wings of the party. And so, um, and so I think that's, you know, you're seeing it on both sides and I think it's a healthy, a healthy thing to have. And, um, and, and I think that ultimately, you know, the best ideas always win. So, um, sure. yeah, that, well, I think that's, uh, that's a good way to put it. And, and I would agree with you, you know, despite, um, on, on, on both sides of the aisle, cause I, I do think the parties are kind of mirror images of each other in a lot of ways. Um, and, and they go through their, I don't know if you want to call them realignments or identity crises, you know, at, diff- at different times based on where the pendulum is at. But um, I agree with you. I think the Republican Party has been very unified when she, if, if you look at the voting record, you know, of the party and, and what they've accomplished over the past two years. And, uh, and I see the same... You've put it a good way, you know, uh, a ro- a broad spectrum of, of candidates, and, and there's probably robust debate that's going to ensue in the Democratic primary this year. But right. yeah, right. we'll see. And I think, and I think it's healthy for Americans. I think Americans. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly Montanans are very yeah. independent, <laughs> and they don't. You know, we don't fall in line, um, and we we are who we are. And, uh, like I said, you know, the best ideas went out. So I, I think that's a healthy thing for, for the country. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, I guess we're kind of running up towards the end of our time here, but I, I, I guess we've, we've caught up to where you're at now and, 
And you're back in Montana for now. Do you do you want to stay back in the state, or do you think you might come back to D.C. again? I'm always wanting to be in the state. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess, a rhetorical question. <laughs> um, um, you know, I, um, I love Montana, and I've been looking um, uh, for ways to um, to be here. And I, and I think I've done that uh, pretty effectively, um, you know, getting back to see my family and friends um, every month or so, um, maybe a little longer at certain periods. But uh, ultimately, yes, That's pretty um, good. I, yeah. I'm, I'm looking for uh, a lifestyle that Montana affords and, um, and I hope, um, I hope to have more news for you, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's Montana's okay. a great place and you'd be crazy not to want to be in Montana. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. Um, well, here's a more, maybe a more specific question. Would, have you ever thought about running for public office yourself someday? You know, I don't think that you should ever rule out opportunities to serve. Um, but at this time I don't have any plans to do that. Yeah, that's my, that's <laughs> my long and short for you. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. I think, um, it's easier to, uh, to know, uh, which offices you can run for after you've decided where you're living first of all. Sure. And then, sure. yeah, the, the answers become easier. Well, okay. How about just one last question? What advice do you have for young Montanans who want to get involved in politics? Well, um, Two, two things, I would say. Um, one, find a mentor or two. Um, I, like I said, had a lot of uh, mentors uh, early on um, in, you know, primary uh, level of education and also, you know, through my early stages of my career. Um, I had, like I said, a lot of Montanans who were helping me, pushing me, getting me to the, the next um, level of where I wanted to be. And, um, and so I'm eternally grateful for those people, um, many of which I, of whom I, I stay in touch with, um, to this day. Um, and so I would say find a mentor, find someone who has been, um, involved, uh, before and can give you the best advice possible. Um, and then don't forget to pay it forward. Um, I do a lot of mentoring myself and I think that, um, you know, I'm heavily invested in a number of people who. I think will be great leaders for, you know, in variety of fields. And, um, and, and so that's important. Um, the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to raise your hand. Public service for one person might mean something different than, you know, for another person. It might mean your church. It might mean, uh, right. you know, your city council, whatever it might mean. Um, don't be afraid to raise your hand because uh, we need all, we need everyone involved that's able and capable and we're all, you know, parts of one body. So I would say don't be afraid to raise your hand. <laughs> well, that's great advice. Yeah. And, and that's a nice way to put it. You know, public service takes many forms and they're all, uh, they're all good parts of, parts yep. of society that we live in. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Ashley. It's, it's been great talking with you and it's good to meet you through this process. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. I've had a very enjoyable time. Yeah. Well, feel free to come back on, uh, down the road. Anytime you might have some, uh, some political news to share. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. All right. Today's last word segment actually covers two speeches, Governor Steve Bullock's State of the State Address and Senate Majority President Scott Sayles' Republican response. Governor Bullock opened his State of the State with an overview of the Montana economy since he took office. Six years after our family moved into the governor's house, 
Six years after I had the honor of first standing before you, I am pleased to report the state of our state is stronger than ever. The first time I stood at this Ross room in 2013, I spoke of all the work that we have to do and also of the tremendous opportunities that lie ahead. At the time, our unemployment rate was 5.6%. Now it's at the lowest in a decade at 3.7. More people are working than ever before in our state's history. We've added almost 34,000 jobs since January 2013, while we have fewer state employees today than the day I took office. And real wages, they're on the rise. Today, the average Montana worker earns $108 more each and every week than they did six years ago. And that's real money. Families are climbing that ladder of opportunity to the middle class. Montana's middle class households grew more than any other state between 2013 and 16. In 2017, our median household income growth grew nearly two and a half times the national average, the fastest in the nation. Business is booming and it's no surprise. Since 2013, we've repealed or revised hundreds of regulations and removed red tape. We've cut the business equipment tax for every Montana business, eliminated it for two-thirds of the businesses paying it, for paying it. And you know, we see Montana's economic success directly in our communities. Fifteen months ago, we began working with ClassPass, which is a fitness tech, tech startup as they were deciding among 29 states where to expand their New York and San Francisco operations. They chose Missoula, Montana, originally planning to hire 50 people. We recently celebrated the hiring of their 100th, and the CEO tells me they plan to hire another 100 in Montana this year alone. This economic success is not confined just to our urban areas. We see it in our rural communities as well. Ticketprinting.com has 100,000 customers. It's the leading company in the world for event and raffle ticket printing. It's also the largest commercial employer in Wheatland County. It has a customer service team that works remotely from places like Big Timber, Columbus, and the suburbs of Tudoc. We see that success on our Native American reservations. In the past six years, we've made it easier for businesses located within our tribal nations to work with customers and businesses across our state. And we funded 120 businesses that have created or obtained 220 jobs through the Indian Equity Fund. We also see it on our farms and in our forests. We rank near the top in barley, wheat, and organic production. We lead the nation in pulse crops, doubling that acreage since 2013. 
Because of the Forest and Focus Program, we produced nearly 200 million board feet of timber in the last four years, retaining 3,000 jobs in the forest product sector. And we're now working across landscapes, state, federal, tribal, tribal and private. We see that economic success in our outdoors. Our clean air, our clean water, our public lands are our way of life. But they're also a key economic driver. Our outdoor economy generates over $7 billion a year in consumer spending and sustains 71,000 jobs. And we see it in our vibrant towns. Since my time in office, we've helped over 15,000 small businesses expand their footprint through economic development tools that were created under Governor Roscoe. These programs have supported more than 12,000 jobs, and they're also up for renewal this year. I encourage you to continue to strengthen this legacy for our small businesses and for the long-term strength of our economy. He went on to highlight other issues, including public education, covering initiatives that have increased funding and access for all levels of education, from preschool to college. They and we know that preschool works. So I ask you to invest $30 million over the next two years, $22 million for public schools through the school funding formula, and $8 million for Head Starts and private and community providers through the STARS program. Let's provide kids and families in rural and urban areas access to high-quality, voluntary, affordable options. The future leaders of our state deserve no less. On health care, he talked a lot about Medicaid expansion, which might be the biggest issue facing the state legislature this year. And unlike every other nation, or every other program in the nation. We offer those receiving health care an opportunity to improve their lives and address their barriers to better employment by connecting with our Department of Labor. Just as our program is unique to the nation, so too are its results. No other state has increased labor force participation like we have because of our HelpLink program. The work that we've done in Montana, it's our work. It's a national model that other states are looking to adopt. Now, if I told you out of business coming to Montana, they'd create oh, between 5,900 and 7,500 jobs in every corner of the state, and then we'll infuse over $350 million of new personal income into our state. My bet is you'd all tell me that sounds pretty darn good. Well, that's exactly what Medicaid expansion has done for the state of Montana. He goes on to talk about infrastructure, saying that Montana has gone six years without passing a major infrastructure package. It's not to say that we haven't made progress. Over the past six years, we've invested $300 million in our communities and in our colleges to ensure that at the very least, we don't fall further behind. Those investments that we've made over these last six years, they've gone to upgrade water, sewers, schools, and bridges 
in all 56 counties, every single county in our state has gotten a piece of that pie. Yet, when it comes to a major infrastructure package, each time we've fallen just a couple votes short. The failure isn't because of lack of interest or lack of need. It's because of the two-thirds vote required for bonding. This wasn't always the case. Republican governors, Stevens, Roscoe, and Martz, with mostly Republican-led legislators, they all passed bonding measures. And it's time that you do as well. He goes on to cover some campaign finance issues with a proposal to ban foreign money in state elections. Elections are more transparent, closer to our citizens than perhaps any other state in the nation. And just as Montanans now expect to know who's attempting to influence our elections, Montanans should also know that the source of that money isn't coming from foreign countries. I'm asking this body to pass a law expressly outlawing foreign spending in our state elections. It really is. It's a glaring omission that we don't have a foreign money ban. Other states have already protected their elections. And we all know on both sides of the aisle that Montanans expect that the government will work for them, Montanans and Americans, not anybody else. Bullock also asked for $300 million in reserve funds for unforeseen circumstances like government shutdowns, trade wars, and natural disasters, factors that are beyond our control. State Senator and Senate President Scott Sales offered the Republican response. His main concern was about Montana's growing reliance on federal dollars, and he proposed developing our natural resources as the remedy to that problem. He also said the best health care program for an individual is a job so they can pay for their own health care. We agree with the governor. The economy is good for the most part and getting better. Unemployment is low, as we have heard, and personal income is on the rise. Those are good things, and they should be celebrated, and we do celebrate those. <laughs> However, there are some clouds on the horizon that threaten this economic expansion in the private sector. And the chart behind me here uh, will show that there's been a continuous growth in government in the 16 years I've been here and also in the two projected years that the, the governor's asking for in his budget. Now, as you can see, government is alive and well. It's grown a staggering 93% over this period of time. It's grown at 4.1% year to year. That's two and a half times the state or the rate of inflation and six times the rate of population growth here in the state of Montana for that period of time. What's particularly uh, disturbing to me is the upper part of this graph where you see the, the federal share of our state budget, roughly 44%. We all know that the federal government 
is $21 trillion in debt. We also know that there's an overhang of uh, well in excess of $100 trillion in unfunded liability on Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security. And when the federal government finally realizes that it can't continue these trillion-dollar deficits in perpetuity, states like Montana that have such a high reliance on federal dollars could really be in deep, deep trouble economically. Quite frankly, I don't know how we would pay our bills if it wasn't for this large transfer of federal dollars to the state on an annual basis. One of the good things is, is that uh, we don't get all the, the, the government that we pay for. Unfortunately, we're passing on a debt to future generations, our kids and our grandkids, a debt that they can never repay. But the good news is Montana has been blessed with an abundance of natural resources. And we can and we should develop these resources, our timber, our copper, our hard rock minerals, our coal. And we can do this and it, through the... And with the technology and the laws that we currently have in place, we can do this in an environmentally friendly fashion that doesn't degrade the great outdoors that we all cherish. Currently, there are three major mining projects that are proposed that would give us hundreds of high-paying jobs and create millions of dollars in tax revenue for local communities and the state. Instead of embracing these projects, the current administration has drug its feet and continually put up uh, roadblocks that have, have discouraged the development of these outstanding projects. And evidence of that is their support for I-186, which fortunately the people of Montana saw fit to defeat. believe that the citizens of Montana deserve better and that we should do better on this front. The best health care program that anybody can have is a good job so they can buy their own health care. In closing, I want to inform you that the Republicans are committed to, to crafting a budget that lives within our means free from the $160 million worth of tax increases that the governor would like to pass. We believe that the people of Montana, if they're allowed to keep their own money, can spend that better than we can here in Helena. I want to remind the people of Montana that before government can provide a benefit to any citizen, it must take it from another, thus gaining control of both. With that, I'd like to thank you for your attention. I'd like to thank the people of Montana for their hard work. We have 71 days left in the session, and we're committed to getting your work done. Thank you very much.
that's it for this episode of the Montana Middle. Music was provided by my sister, June West. Thanks for listening and take care. Thank you.